0: and welcome to the director's podcast powered by USPTA. My name is Chuck Gill, director of sports at the club at IBIS.
1: And I'm Chris Michalowski, known as Coach Mick, USPTA Elite Pro, broadcasting right here from Orlando, Florida.
0: On today's episode, we would like to welcome Scott Colburn, chief operating officer at Cliff Drivesdale Tennis. Scott is second in command to the CEO and oversees all daily operations, staff and departments company wide. His responsibilities include designing and implementing business strategies, plans and procedures, setting comprehensive goals for performance and growth, and establishing policies that promote Cliff Drysdale tennis culture and vision. Scott, welcome to the podcast.
2: Hey, Chuck. Good to uh, chat with you. Good to chat with you too, Coach Mick. Hey, it's good
1: to have you here. And by the way, he is a USPTA pro. Now, after hearing Chuck's description of what you do, Scott, I'm sure you have solid strategies, plans and procedures that were already in place over the years. You've tweaked them probably a few times over the years to make sure they fit your culture and your vision. But it seems like now many of these are going to have to be rewritten for at least a short term and if not permanently. And it sounds like there's a lot on your plate right now if you're the chief operating officer.
2: Yeah, most definitely. There's a lot on my plate. Um, I count myself very fortunate you know, to be having a job right now and to be working. There's a lot of people out there in a lot worse situations than what I am and, and being out of work, including a lot of my fellow tennis pros and, and colleagues. Um, so it's busy, but also count my blessings. It's been an interesting journey. The first couple of weeks of this crisis was really you know, crisis mode, trying to deal with the day to day of facilities closing and, and, and dealing with that. And then the past couple of weeks have been more planning for the future. And now we're kind of in the third phase of trying to get things reopened and, and kickstarted again in certain parts and getting ready for that.
0: Scott. I don't think any of us could have envisioned the situation that we're in right now. And we certainly didn't have a playbook or a policies or procedure manual on how we're going to deal with that. But what we would like to talk about today is your decision process during this crisis, not just for one facility, but having to deal with multiple facilities and your plans for reopening.
1: Yeah. And it seems like there's going to be a need for education before you open up everything. So the staff, members, customers know what to expect, I would think, when they walk in the door for the first time, because things are going to be different they got to know things are going to be different.
2: Yeah, most definitely. I mean, to me, communication is one of the greatest skills of any leader and is a sign of a good organization regardless of the size of the organization. So I think in terms of preparing your staff, preparing your members, preparing your stakeholders, your, your players, whomever it is, communication is, is critical. I think we've all seen a massive flood of communication coming out and everywhere. I've been getting more email notifications from companies I didn't know I'd signed up for than ever before. So everyone's trying to communicate and I think that's especially critical in this time to, to communicate, you know, early and often and educate your team and educate your customers about what to expect when they do come back to, to what's going to become the new normal for quite a while is, is what I think.
0: So Scott, this is a really daunting task having to get reopened. How, how do you even start making these decisions and what's your thought process when you consider them? And is there any kind of framework that you use?
2: Sure uh fortunately for me i can't unfortunately for me i grew up professionally working in uh, hotels and resorts i was exposed to a lot of different uh hotel chain cultures and trainings coming up as a professional and from there one of the things i learned was to think of decision making like a triangle and you've got three three parts of the triangle you've got your customers you could be your guests your players your members uh you've got your staff whether you call them associates or your team. And then you've got your ownership. It could be senior management. You might consider that ownership, but you've got those three areas to balance. And if you're making decisions purely based on one area over the other area, you've got to weigh that up. And is that the best thing to do long-term? And it doesn't always mean doing 100% what the customer wants at the expense of the owner. It doesn't always mean doing the opposite. It doesn't always mean having a completely balanced decision of, you know, 33% in each direction, but you've got to consider all three groups and all the decisions that you're making as an organization. And, you know, sometimes what may seem to be the best thing for the owner at surface level is not the best thing for the owner. And, you know, some, for instance, in this, in this instance, it might seem like the best thing to do for the employees is to get them back to work as soon as possible. But by doing that, you may unintentionally be putting them in harm's way of, you know, becoming sick in the future, or they may have been on government relief right now, and you're trying to bring them back to work 10 hours a week, because that's all your facility is open. And, you know, is that fair to them? So I think it's, it's not, it's not an easy decision. You don't just say, you know, let's do what the customer wants. You don't say what the employee wants. You've got to really balance them out and think about all three groups when you're making that decision and then, you know, go ahead and, and make your decision and then make your decision. Right. I think it's very easy to second guess decisions right now. Um, I think you've got to make your decision and then move forward. If you made a mistake in your decision, then you admit it and you, you know, make amends and, and move on. I think especially right now, one of the things that is important is that we're all being both socially responsible and we've heard that term social distancing a lot lately, Um, but being socially responsible, which for me means, are you looking out for the people? Are you looking out for their health? You know, Are you just looking out for your customer's health? And then also being financially responsible. And those two both really play well into the triangle decision-making model.
1: All right, so you kind of answered my question, but I'll probably ask it again, just to pinpoint it out a little bit more. So you've got your staff, your customer, and your ownership and you're thinking about all three, but is there ever a time where one of the points is gonna hold more weight than the others? You kind of mentioned that a little bit. For example, I would think in programming, I would think it's a pretty even mix, but what about something as simple as the ball machine or demoing a rack? And I'm sure that probably has some differences.
2: Yeah, I think there's definitely times where on the surface, it may seem like this is the best decision for the customer, but in the back of your head, I think, you know, I often put the ownership hat on. And so as an owner, you've got to think long-term, you know, as an owner right now, you may be out of business and bankrupt and not coming back, or you may be taking all the necessary steps to cut expenses. So you can come back in six months time. And then let's say you're ready to open now and you want to stimulate growth. And so you're, you know, waiving court fees or waiving ball machine fees or, you know, making some financial concessions that may seem like that's the best possible thing for the customer and not best for the owner. I would like to think it's a calculated decision that says, okay, let's stimulate growth right now get people back playing tennis. So in three months time or six months time, you know, the owner is in a better position to capture membership. Maybe they can, maybe you can give away a lot on the front end to ensure you get a, a membership dues. You know, one of the strategies that we did is we knew facilities would be closed at the start of April facilities that we really needed from a financial perspective to charge dues at. So we called every person that we're going to charge dues, said to them, Hey, what we'd like to do is offer you a complimentary month in the future of your dues. If we can charge you dues now. And what that enabled us at that particular club for that month was continue the cash flow, And that enabled us to continue some of the key staff on to maintain the courts. And then down the road, you know, we're gonna give them that free month back. So I think every time you balance those out and what may seem to be a best decision for one group, it comes back the other way. And and a good example is with the employees. I mean, I think everybody wants to get the employees back to work, but the reality is if they did apply for unemployment and they're getting the federal assistance, unless they're coming back to somewhere close to what their full wage is, it may not be financially responsible for them to come back to work for you for 10 hours a week. And so it might seem get them back to work, but on the other hand, it maybe is not the best thing for for them right now financially. And so there's always a balance.
1: Yeah, but you need them. Let's say you need them for that 10 hours. Then how do you handle that?
2: Yeah, good question. I think we're all faced um, adjusting to the new normal. It it may be, well, not maybe, in our case, it's going to be a lot less group programming. It's not going to be clinics with 20 people on five courts. It's not, not initially anyway. So we've got to make concessions. We're going to have some tennis pros. that are going to be doing court maintenance because there's no budget for court maintenance for the first month that we're back. Um, It could be closing the pro shop or if the pro shop has to be open for bathrooms, you know, maybe it's a different person doing that. I think everybody's got to adjust to that. And um, you know, I think, I don't think many places will be in a position where they, need someone for 10 hours a week versus being able to have someone else pick up the slack and do more hours and earn more income.
0: So Scott, a lot of this really talks about leadership and just uh, strategic planning. If you're a, if you're the tennis director, head professional, how do you collaborate with your staff and how do you, uh, how do you seek input from them? And if you were um, to give any lessons learned or tips for a, for a head pro tennis director, having gone through at least 30 days of this, 40 days of this, what would they be and what would you suggest?
2: Sure. I think on the strategic plan one, you know, a strategic plan is a, is a big undertaking. I would say if you are, uh, you know, if you're not going to be open for another few weeks, then now's a great time to look at it. If you don't have a strategic plan, if you do have a strategic plan, it's good to review it on a regular basis, at least annually. Um, and if you are opening soon you don't have one, then at least spend a couple of hours you know, going through a plan for the next six months, 12 months, if you haven't already. I would say a key aspect of that is getting outside opinions. I think as leaders, many of us rely on our own opinion and our own intuition, which is great to a point, but you've got to get input from your staff, input from your customers, input from your supervisors. And that could be as simple as a quick phone call. Say, hey, here's what I'm working on. Can you give me your thoughts on this? How are we doing? And I know some clubs have a very formal review process in place, others don't have any process at all, but I think all leaders should look to get as much feedback and information brought to them as possible. And even including on their own leadership style, someone to give them some, some tough things to hear so they can evaluate that. And then in, in terms of lessons learned from the past you know, month or so right now, I go back to communicate. And I think it's so important to over-communicate. For me, I've, I feel very connected with you know almost all of our pros because I've met them at some point, I know them, but it's not feasible for me to make 150 phone calls a week to see how they're doing. What I've tried to do is recommend that we communicate downwards in a funnel. So if you're communicating with your direct reports and then encouraging them to communicate with their direct reports, and then encouraging them to connect with their customers or their members. So that way you're able to really connect with everybody. I think in some professions right now, we're busier than ever, because if you're still working, you're pretty busy. For everyone like that, there's people that are sitting at home that don't really have a lot going on and can feel quite disconnected if you're not communicating with them. And whilst you may feel busy as a leader, they may not. So I think communicating downwards in a funnel is, Super helpful in a crisis, but also very helpful in in regular time to allow you to connect with everybody and help them connect with you. And it it doesn't have to be a 30-minute phone call. It can be a text message. It can be a check-in. It can be a quick, hey, just thinking about you, hope you're doing all right. But nobody's going to get upset about being over-communicated to or or letting them know that you care about them.
0: Great stuff, Scott. Lessons, clinics, instruction, camps, those are kind of the lifeblood of the tennis operation, especially for the staff and seeing that they're compensated as well as often the director. How do you see those being reintroduced back into clubs and facilities?
2: Sure. Uh, I see one-on-one lessons coming back almost immediately. I see group lessons with families coming back almost immediately. I think different parts of the country are very different some areas are significant i've spoken to friends in the northeast in new york there's a really heightened sense of concern there and understandably so and there's other parts of the country where it doesn't seem as bad and and statistics say that the situation is not so bad so i think it does have to be a a case-by-case basis i think that we should all you know crawl before we walk you know you shouldn't be just jumping straight out there and trying to have a group clinic with eight people on a court i think you should be Even if it's for the first week, encouraging individual or family lessons. And then if that goes well and your local government health department continues, I think then it can open up a little bit more from there into smaller groups, threes and fours, trying to place people around the court. And just roll it out slowly because I don't think anybody, and again, to go back to the triangle, you don't want to bring your staff back. And then a week later be told by the local health department or have the local sheriff come by your facility and say, Hey, you're breaking all the rules We're shutting you down and then padlocking the gates. So you've got, to, I think, take it back slowly and that's going to enable you to build up because if it doesn't, I understand the, the, the financial impact on the pros and that may be a reason why you don't bring all your pros back at once because there's not enough work for them all at once. And that's a tough decision to make, but, think you've got
0: to evaluate it. Scott, the umbrella of Cliff Drysdale is pretty wide between clubs and resorts. Do you see everybody coming back with lower business levels? Are there some that just the, the pent up demand of being able and wanting to play after not being able to, do you think they'll come back faster, slower, about the same What
2: Sure. I think for certain sectors of the economy, it's going to come back just with a vengeance, like a Serena Williams first served down the t, <laughs> or a Federer short forehand. I mean, there's people that want to play tennis. They want to get out. And because a lot of people are working from home, they've got a little more flexibility to get out. You've got kids that have been at home off school for a long time now their parents want them to get out and do something. So I think for certain parts of the industry and the economy, it's going to be a boom really quickly because people just want to do something. And and I think that's for a big part of tennis, that's going to be there. I think for the middle to lower part of the economy, it's going to be a little more challenging. People that aren't working anymore that don't have disposable income for tennis. And so I think that's where it's gonna hurt probably in the areas that our industry can least afford things to be hurt. Public facilities and parks and clubs with, it's gonna be challenging in some areas and other areas I think will really pick up really strongly, really quickly.
1: Yeah, and I wanna add to that a little bit too because it's like when I go to the grocery store, I always have my face mask sometimes in my pocket at first it was in my pocket and now you see more people wearing them. And it's almost like I'm doing it just because I know everybody else is uncomfortable. Not everybody's on the same page. And I would think for members and guests at your resorts, it's going to be you got to lay down the law or something because some people are going to want to come in and just play like they did before. And some are going to be super sensitive and say, wait a minute. And there's going to be some uncomfortableness with just the way you, how close you walk by somebody upstairs or something. I mean, it's all going to be tricky. Don't you think?
2: Yeah, definitely. And that's why uh, I think it goes back to the, the triangle. What, what may seem to be a good decision for the customer would be, let's open up the pro shop. Let's open up the lounge. Let's get it all back going. Well, I don't think that's a good decision immediately for your customer. It may appear to be, but I don't think it is because you're going to, in essence, you're going to have to save some people from themselves right. and I, I get it, we're tennis professionals here. We're not doctors, not actually saving anybody, but if you open your pro shop, people are going to be in there hanging out and you're in a way encouraging that. So I think you've got to put some measures in place to prevent situations like that from happening. And there's different things I think everybody's adjusting to and doing that, maybe push the industry forward in a way that needs to be done. I mean, we can order our groceries on an app from our phone and we can get lunch delivered to our door, but most places you still can't book a tennis lesson or a tennis court on your phone. I know we're doing everything we can to change that and switch some pretty large facilities with high volume from an antiquated system to a, a online app and digital system because I think that's where needs to go in this time and should go as a customer service point for the industry. So what
1: about your staff? I know we talked about bringing them back to work and uh, will there be enough work for them? And how do you decide who comes back and who doesn't come back? I know we talked about some of the uh, loans they were receiving and how much they're bringing in already. How do you decide who comes and who stays?
2: Yeah, that's a really hard decision that should be made in consulting with your hr department if you have one you know if you're at a club that has an hr department or an hr professional i would be involved with them in that decision because there's some legalities around that um, i think ultimately over communicating with your staff and calling every one of them hey how you doing and hopefully you've been in touch with them but it, it's like when we have a hurricane in florida you don't just pack up and leave you, you talk to your people while you're evacuated you're communicating with them You're how, how are you doing? How's your family? Can I help in any way? So this should be a natural continuation of that type of conversation and talking with some people. And we've had some folks that are just super keen to get back to work and we're able to say, great, we think there's enough work to, to be back as soon as possible. And then we've had other people who have had to say, I understand that you're, you know, want to get back to work now, but we don't see that happening for another five or six weeks. And then there's also had to be some conversations where I've said, I'm sorry, we don't see business levels returning to your position being required. And we don't want to hold you on. for. We don't want to kind of keep you on a limb for another five or six weeks to wait and see what happens. We want to be harsh, but fair and tell you as soon as possible and tell you now rather than wait and see what happens out there to give you the knowledge now. And those are not fun conversations or easy, but I think it's necessary to over communicate and to be as upfront as possible with people it's especially hard evaluating teaching levels. I mean, when I say those things, I'm looking at pro shop staff, I'm looking at court maintenance staff, I'm looking at the entire team when you look at tennis professionals as a group, like Chuck mentioned earlier, the majority are compensated on on the volume of lessons and clinics that they're teaching, you know, that's going to be impacted. So it's a, it's a conversation with each of them. And are you feeling comfortable to come back to work if they are, then talk about how much work there's going to be. And I don't think you can pressure someone to say, you have to come back now. We need you because I just don't think that's the responsible thing to do for them as an employee.
0: So Scott, again, it sounds like a lot of it comes back to communication because basically it's going to be a situation where you might need all hands on deck or you might need limited hands on deck. And there are definitely going to be new responsibilities in place where Tennis pros might have to cover shifts at the desk or they might have to assist in court maintenance and court maintenance. People might conversely need to work a shift at the desk if they can and vice versa. So it sounds like you really need to manage expectations to communicate what it's going to be like during the transition phase.
2: You couldn't have said a better, Chuck, at the end there with managing expectations and then communicate because disappointment happens when reality doesn't meet expectations. And that happens in anything. If you walk into something and you expect X and you get Y, you're not happy with it. Whatever your standard of X is, whatever your, whether it's high or low. So managing the expectations and the only way you're doing that is by communicating with your staff. I don't think anybody is immune to the news right now and doesn't expect things to change, Um, you know, and not in a good way for employment. I, I don't think there's anybody in the country who hasn't suffered in some way financially because of this, some a lot more than others, but people would be naive to think that things are going to come back exactly the same way. And it's our job as leaders to communicate with them. And then hopefully you can put a plan in front of them and say, here's the reality of where we are today. We'd love it to be like it was, but it's not, we've all taken a hit. We think we can get you back to where you were in a year and two years, whenever it might be and, and communicate with them. So they understand that. And then, they have the right to, to choose not to come back and choose other employment or whatever it might be. But I mean, 99.9% of the conversations I've had people have been pleased to hear from me, understand any changes that need to be made and they're happy to be getting things moving.
0: So Scott, we're going to take you down a tough road here. Do you have anything in place if God forbid a staff member or a club member contracts uh, COVID-19?
2: We do. Um, Obviously we didn't prior to COVID-19 existing, but we put some procedures in place pretty quickly. Uh, We have a COVID notification team for the company that includes myself, our director of HR and our VP of operations, Scott McCulloch. So as soon as someone is notified as positive that the, the club is to communicate with us, this notification, and then we let our HR department take care of the notifications from there. I would say the important thing is that you're really communicating with your members and your staff ahead of time to say, look, if you're having any symptoms, please stay home. You know, you don't need somebody coming to work or coming to play tennis, that they are exhibiting the symptoms. And I think it's a time where all need to be socially responsible and take heed of that. You know, I know wearing masks is not something that everybody wants to do, but a lot of the evidence says that you're wearing a mask, to stop the spread from you to someone else. So you're really protecting others by doing that. So I think everybody needs to be aware of that to protect others by not coming to work if you've got symptoms or you're sick.
0: Scott, you have a lot of members and customers that have been cooped up over a period of time. They're eager to get back. They're eager eager to mingle with each other. They're eager to get back and see the staff. How much interaction do you allow customers to have?
2: It's going to be great to see everybody. And I think when they initially come back, we're all going to have to resist that urge to shake hands and high fives and hugs, you know, for a little while longer yet. You know, I don't think we're going to get back to normal, what we knew normal to be for for quite a while. And so I think we're going to have to resist that urge. And yeah, you can have people hanging out, but instead of maybe a close circle chatting, it's going to be a wider circle chat. And I think everybody has seen that, even the few people that I interact with, you know, we're just sticking away from each other and, and chatting, but you've got to maintain that, six foot of social distancing. I think that people are gonna be, I hope, and I believe that people will be respectful of that and that we should, and we will, and I hope everyone else does communicate that and understand that we can be together, but maybe not as physically close as what we were. And those are the accommodations that we have to make. I hope, and I think that everybody has a bit of a reset in terms of connectivity with people and maybe not leaving the house or only having virtual meetings or phone calls or FaceTimes for such a long time. Now they are just appreciative of seeing someone in person. They don't feel the need to, you know, be kind of in the personal space or, you know, hugging or high-fiving so close and we'll get back there eventually, but it's going to take a while. And I think we've got to continue to be respectful of that. And I think it'll be okay.
1: All right, Scott. So what about the staff? There's going to have to be a lot of interaction. So all of you are on the same page. How do you handle that?
2: A lot can be done via video software. We have a training meeting tomorrow regarding new point of sale and scheduling software. It's going to be with everyone on a call, you know, seeing each other, seeing the software. So I think that's going to play a big part of it. I think uh, a lot of over-communicating, sharing policies via email and text message. And then when you do get together, maybe before we are all gathered around the net post and now we're going to gather around the net because we've got some more distance between us. I think people are going to be just happy to be outside interacting with others that I do think they are going to be respectful of maintaining some personal space between each other. And that's what we're going to have to do. And I think that it's uh, time to be resilient and push on and we're going to be fine.
0: Scott, thanks a lot. This has been great information. And I'm sure a lot of the directors can certainly use it and apply it to their own operation. Do you have any closing comments for the listeners?
2: Yeah, I just first want to thank Chuck and Coach Mick for having me on here. I also want to share that um, as much as it may sound like I or we have a lot of the answers, that's really, I view this time as kind of like a good doubles drill. You might think that you invented that doubles drill at the club, but in all likelihood, you probably borrowed it from another pro down the street. You borrowed it from another pro across the country. So I think we're all sharing a lot of great information together. And taking pieces from each other and government websites. So that's been really nice to see. I'm fortunate to be, you know, one of the leaders of a company full of leaders. And so I'm not the one that is coming up with every marketing plan, every reopening plan. I'm just the one that's communicating and helping them execute. So I'm fortunate in that in that area that I've got a, a team that I'm working with and I'm working for to help me be able to push these kind of messages out there. It's definitely not not one person, that's for sure. And I think that as an industry, we're going to have, you know, some bumps this summer and hopefully not too many bumps this fall. And fingers crossed, we're looking at Australian Open, Indian Wells, Miami, Wimbledon next year, and things are looking a lot on the up and people are really valuing the social interaction that tennis has. And I think, you know, for that reason it's got a great chance to come back even stronger because we've got this such a strong social component in the sport of a lifetime that people love playing. And those things have not been changed by COVID nineteen.
1: So, Scott, that was some great information. Now, if someone wants to get a hold of you and find out more about what you do or about Cliff Drysdale tennis, where can they go?
2: I think the best place to find about our company is cliffdrysdale.com. And the best place to find or interact with me is on LinkedIn. Uh, just look for Scott Colborne. I'm pretty available. Well, thanks, Scott. Well, that
0: wraps it up for this episode of the Director's Podcast.
1: I'm Coach Mick. And I'm Chuck Gill.
0: Until next time.